Whether you're engaged in managing a household or have a staff reporting to you at work, each of us is a leader to someone. God places us in positions of influence where sons, daughters, colleagues, or employees look to us as a source of strength, vision, and direction. Today on Insight for Living, you'll hear Chuck Swindoll present another message in the topical series, Questions Christians Ask. And during the next half hour, we'll be looking into the scriptures for practical help on the vital role of leadership. Chuck titled today's sermon with a question, Will You Lead or Lag? In the fast-paced, highly competitive world of the 21st century, we need a fresh word from God on leadership. How much we need His steady, unchanging wisdom in our world of web meetings, 60-hour work weeks, workplace demands, constant deadlines, and, yes, even corporate scandals. In all that nonsense, godly leadership is hard to find. Though projects differ and people change with every generation, the principles of godly leadership remain the same. The Bible's wisdom may be ancient, but it's never out of date. Thankfully, God's Word continues to speak to those of us in leadership to this very day. As we turn to Scripture, we discover that one of the most important qualities of a leader is the ability to motivate others. This would include such skills as verbalizing ideas, dreams, and concerns, articulating goals, and possessing an ability which includes a willingness to delegate our work to others. Jesus did that better than anyone else. Nehemiah also excelled in this way. But today, we will examine the leadership of Moses. Whether you run a business or a home or serve in ministry or government, education, athletics, or the military, the Bible provides trustworthy, timeless tools for developing godly leadership. Let's make sure we're on the list of those who get things done for God's glory, who stand strong on the essentials of biblical leadership. Moses delegated tasks of leadership to others, according to the 18th chapter of Exodus. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, verses 13 through 23. Exodus 18, 13 through 23. Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, What are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, Because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me. And I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. 
you're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, listen to me, and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to Him. Teach them God's decrees and give them His instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. You're listening to Insight for Living. For resources pertaining to our series, Questions Christians Ask, Go to insightworld.org. And now the message from Chuck Swindoll. Will you lead or lag? Some of you have heard me compare the work and ministry of a local church to an iceberg. Uh, By that, I don't mean that it's cold and slow-moving and clumsy. What I mean by that is that there is much more that goes on beneath the surface than you ever realize. It is a massive thing that is happening, and yet only a small part is ever visible to the eye of the public. Any ministry, no matter its surface size, is much larger among the ranks of those that are never seen than those that are in high visibility positions. I looked into our children's word, um, uh, I should say, world book encyclopedia under icebergs, and I found an interesting statistic. Only one, from one-eighth to one-tenth of the total mass of an iceberg is above water. Now, that analogy applies beautifully to our church. In fact, it is almost identical to what we have here. And I don't have in mind the thousands of people who worship here, what I have in mind is the size of the leadership that you see as opposed to the leadership that is not seen. In a church our size, if you take the number of people who are in leadership but are not seen by the public, we have a one-eighth to one-tenth percent who serve behind the scenes in a voluntary way as leaders in this ministry that are very, very seldom even seen. What you're seeing on the surface is eight to ten men on a pastoral staff working with your children and with your friends and with you in various capacities. But what you're not seeing is that behind the scenes, one-eighth to one-tenth percent make the decisions for our whole church. So in a real sense, we have an iceberg on our hands. And most of what happens that determines the future of this ministry, not seldom, but is never seen by the public eye. Never. Uh, Let me give you an example of of what I'm talking about. I checked with our children's ministry just this past week. I talked to Mel about how many people are needed to keep the children's ministry going. 
And I was surprised to hear that we need on a monthly basis 400 people. Now four are paid, the rest are not paid. 400 people every month on a regular, consistent basis. In fact, in a given year, we have about 750 people who work as volunteers just in our children's ministry. Behind the scenes are people like those that work in our senior adult ministries, the curriculum work for our Sunday school, the special education educators and teachers and helpers, the small group leaders, the officers in classes, the nursery workers, and we never have enough of them, the ushering staff, the sound crew, the parking lot heroes, I call them, the wedding coordinator, those people that serve behind the scenes, and I have made ever so brief a list. I hesitated to do that because I'm leaving out many more than I'm, than I'm mentioning. In some local churches, the bottom of the iceberg will get a lot of strokes, but not here. You will seldom in a year hear any one of these ministries even referred to in a, in a message from this pulpit. But they go on consistently, regularly, every week they go on. Now, so much for that. Let's move to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as we get underway. 1 Corinthians 14, I want you to see clearly what God is pleased with. And it's important that you see it from his word. I'm not interested in developing the context of chapter 14. I can give it to you in one sentence, really, even though it is oversimplification. It's a chapter that deals with a way to correct disorder. And Paul sums it all up in verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion. So the first thing we will say about God is negatively, God does not like confusion. The word means disruption. It is rendered tumult in several versions. He doesn't like tumult. So the first thing we can say is that God does not like that which is tumultuous. Kittle, in his fine linguistic work on the New Testament, says the word means disorder or unrest. And I found this helpful. In the New Testament, Kittle adds, disruption of th that which is peaceful or orgiastic impulses in the gatherings of congregations. And like you, I didn't know what that meant. So I read in Webster, orgiastic means unrestrained emotions. And I kind of raised my eyebrows as I thought about that because I have been in some places where there was unrestrained emotion in a congregational gathering and a number of people left saying, my, wasn't the spirit obvious in the service tonight? But God is not pleased with orgiastic impulses. He is not pleased with a tumultuous catch-as-catch-can kind of gathering. That doesn't please him. Well, what pleases him? Positively, he is pleased with peace. See verse 33? God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So what pleases God is that things be done in a well-organized fashion. That things be thought through and carefully presented in an organized manner. He's pleased with that. That pleases him. He's pleased with a church that is well-managed. 
He's pleased with a body of his that is under control. He is pleased not with an absence of spontaneity. That doesn't mean that. He is pleased when there is a peaceful sense that sweeps over a congregational body. That pleases him. He says it right here in this passage. So that which does not please God is a haphazard, thoughtless, loose kind of manner in doing our business and in handling our worship. God really likes things well-ordered. You question that? Get a hold of either a microscope or a telescope and spend a few hours with either one and you will see the most organized work of creativity your eyes will ever behold. He is pleased not with a lack of beauty, but with a lack of tumult, a lack of confusion. He likes order. Now, in light of all of that, since God wants us to lead wisely and in a well-organized manner, let's go back to one who did that. Chapter 18 of Exodus. Turn back there, please. Whenever anybody mentions either Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy, I always think of Moses. Always. And in this case, I am not off. I am not wrong. Because chapter 18 focuses on Moses. In the first 12, 11 or 12 verses, Moses is visited by his father-in-law named Jethro. You probably are somewhat familiar with the chapter, so I'll just sort of breeze over these first several verses. Jethro, verse 2, Moses' father-in-law took Moses' wife after he had sent her away and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershom. He said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land, and the other one, Eleazar. And Jethro, verse 5, Moses' father-in-law came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was camped at the Mount of God. And uh, they had a few congenial, cordial words together. And then Jethro gave God praise as he evaluated what God had done through the hand of his son-in-law. It's a great moment, this father-in-law visiting his son-in-law. They kiss each other. They bow before each other. There is a warmth of family uh, contact. And then Jethro sits down to watch his son-in-law do his thing. That is, lead the people. Now Moses is in a high visibility position as a leader, and Jethro watches him work. Look at verse 13. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from morning until the evening. Now this is not an exaggeration. God is not hard-pressed to fill up empty spaces with words. That is exactly what happened. Moses literally had people around him all day long. Remember what pleases God? That things be done in an organized manner. Not that there be tumult, not that there be an impulsive kind of leadership, not even that there be overwork, for that is often a characteristic of a confusion kind of leadership. And Jethro frowned as he watched his son-in-law Attempt to meet the needs of too many people. They were there from morning until evening. And then Jethro, verse 12, of, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse um, 14, 
When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he began to ask some hard questions. What is this thing that you are doing for the people? The emphasis here is on the word alone. Why do you alone sit as a judge? And all the people stand about you from morning until evening. The you is singular. Why are you all alone in this task? Now, I want to suggest that there are three or four principles worth remembering about good organization. And they're very general principles, but they apply and they're frequently broken in church congregations. Here's the first one. One person, no matter how gifted, cannot do a big job alone. A gifted person can do a lot, but no person is gifted enough to guide a ministry alone. Moses was attempting to do that. Remember, God is a God of order, and there was a lack of order here. Too many people waiting too long to have many needs met that he could not personally meet. But Moses, faithful to the core, nose to the grindstone, stayed at the task morning till evening, and this wasn't anything unusual. Jethro just happened to see him doing what he was always doing. And Jethro said to him, why do you do it alone? One can't do that alone. Look at verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you're doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and those people who are with you. A good way to put it, isn't it? You will get worn out and the people waiting to see you will get worn out. You can't keep it up, Moses. The task is too heavy. You cannot do it alone. Again, the emphasis, you can't do it alone. You can do it, meaning your part, but you can't do it alone. If you try to do it alone, then God isn't pleased because it lacks order. See, I'm going back to the 1 Corinthians 14 concept. God is pleased when things are done in a well-arranged, well-mannered, non-confusing way. And Moses, your plan is confusing. It's not bringing peace. Let's read on. Verse 19, now listen to me, as you can just hear it. You have a father-in-law like that? Some of you do. You have a father-in-law that uh, loves you too much to let you get away with doing the wrong thing, so at times he'll tell you. And uh, in a, I hope in a sweet spirit, he will tap you on the shoulder and he'll say, now son, uh, uh, what's going on is not wise. It's not good. If you read Jim Dobson's material, you know that Dobson's own father, not father-in-law, but his own father was a very helpful input for Dr. Dobson at a very crucial time in his life when he was letting his schedule run him. And his father called him aside and said, it'll it'll never work. Where you're living is the pit right here in Southern California. And if you think your children can raise themselves because you love Jesus Christ and because your wife does, you're kidding yourself. Now they need you. Wise words from a father. Sometimes they come from a father-in-law. Jethro has has the wisdom to see what Moses doesn't see. And he says, now listen, you listen to me. I shall give you counsel and God be with you. Look at this wise plan. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes to God. Then 
Teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Let me pause and give you the second principle. It's right here. High visibility leadership is still needed, but the role must be limited. We're not saying that there's no place for high visible leaders. We're saying that high visibility leaders need to be, but they need to have their roles limited. Moses, you're needed, but you can only do so much. You be a representative before God, and, and they'll bring the disputes to you, and you bring them to God, and you teach the people statutes and laws. That's your task, Moses, and don't forget it. But you can't do everything else while you're doing that, is the implication. And that brings us to the third. Verse 21. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them. Now, now don't miss the thought. Find the right kind of leaders, and when you select them, you place them over all of these people that are waiting in line to see you. As leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they'll bring to you. But the minor things, the minor disputes, let the, let, they themselves will judge, so it'll be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Isn't that something? That's not the way you run a church. I mean, it's supposed to be hard for the high visibility leader. It's supposed to be a burden. <laughs> You're supposed to gather early in life a stoop and, and look beaten and whipped and, and uh, underpaid and overworked. You're supposed to talk about what a sacrifice it is. It's not supposed to be easy. God says it is to become easier. Isn't that a, 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 a new thought? How many of you have thought about that? Making the task for your pastoral uh, positions here in this church easier. Relieving the load of those in high visibility by taking much more of the detail part of the job. God says through his friend jo uh, Jethro to Moses, Moses, your job is to become easier as the task grows, not harder. Third principle, big loads are to be borne by many, but they must be carefully selected. It was his father-in-law who delivered the truth to Moses. Moses, you can't be an effective leader of the nation all on your own. And the same is true of successful ministries today. Our pastors, our elders, our leaders need dedicated friends who agree to bear some of the burden. You're listening to Insight for Living and a message from Chuck Swindoll titled, Will You Lead or Lag? For resources, go online to insightworld.org. If you're involved in church leadership, either as a pastor, elder, teacher, or small group leader, you know that sometimes your position requires sensitive diplomatic skills. 
Much like Moses, we often find ourselves engaged in resolving conflict. Petty fights, flare-ups, dealing with nitpicky folks who cause dissension. Well, Chuck Swindoll wrote a booklet called Diffusing Disharmony, Seeking Restoration When Christians Collide. If you've never contacted Insight for Living, we'd like to send a free copy. Just give us a phone call and request the free booklet called Diffusing Disharmony. If you're listening in the United States, call 1-800-772-8888. And when life gets hard, there's no better place to find refuge than at the throne of God. But sometimes we fail to find the words. We're insecure about pouring out our hearts when it sounds so raw, so unfiltered and unfinished. Well, Chuck is here to tell us about a brand new resource. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you had a good cry with God? Most of us find it easier to express our love and affection in prayer rather than spill out our pain, our disappointment. In fact, when we feel disillusioned or confused, we often clam up rather than go to the only one who can truly console us in a time like that. Our pastor in the United Kingdom, Terry Boyle, has written a very helpful book on this subject. It's called The Way of Lament, A Biblical Approach to God in Times of Pain. I heartily recommend his writing to you. Sometimes our soul pain comes from mistakes we've made. Other times we're the victim of circumstances or someone else's poor judgment. In any case, the Psalms serve as a model for the way we express our hearts to God. Whether consoling those you love or finding ways to express your personal sorrow, your worries, or your fears, you will find great biblical wisdom, compassion, and insight in Terry's book, The Way of Lament. Thanks, Chuck. And this new book is yours when you give a gift of any amount to Insight for Living. If you're listening in the United States, call 1-800-772-8888. Online, go to insight.org. Just as Moses couldn't lead his people all by himself, this ministry also requires the collective efforts of supportive friends. We deeply appreciate your generous contributions to make these daily visits possible. The book comes with our thanks for your support today. And again, it's called The Way of Lament. In the United States, call 1-800-772-8888 and online go to insight.org. I'm Dave Spiker. You'll hear Chuck Swindoll conclude today's message on leadership Tuesday right here on Insight for Living. The preceding message, Will You Lead or Lag?, was copyrighted in 1981 and the sound recording was copyrighted in 2013 by Charles R. Swindoll, Inc. All rights are reserved worldwide.